So I can think of no better way to begin a sermon on Father's Day than with dad jokes. My family gets to hear them often. Now you all get to hear them. My boss told me to have a, day, have a good day, so I went home. I lost my job at the bank on my first day. A woman asked me to check her balance, so I pushed her over. I was going to tell a time-traveling joke, but you guys didn't like it. See how long that one takes. I know a lot of jokes about retired people, but none of them work. I love the groans. Those are awesome. That's what dad jokes are about, groans. I read that by law, you must turn on your headlights when it's raining in Sweden. But how am I supposed to know when it's raining in Sweden? I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes. Turns out it was the refrigerator all along. All right, this is one of my favorites, but I'm sure there's going to be a lag. I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. <laughs> he says that's actually kind of funny. Come on, Dana. These are all hilarious. Why do dads feel the need to tell such bad jokes? They just want to help you become a grown-up. All right, I'm actually going to use that joke. So, our sermon this morning is about growing up. Not grown up, although it might be that too by the time you get to the end. But about growing up in the faith. I had a fun experience on Friday. My son was home, he's three years old. And so I took him and we went shopping at Target. And as I was shopping with him... I had these wonderful memories of my daughter when she was three, and I was taking her shopping. With my other two boys, we ended up having other ways where I wasn't spending the same kind of stay-at-home time as I was with my daughter, and I was having stay-at-home time with my three-year-old 13 years later and going to Target and shopping with him. But there was a huge difference in 13 years. When I was shopping with my daughter, if I was lucky, I would run across one other dad with kids at the store. It was all moms with their kids and me with my kid. That was not true on Friday, 13 years later. I would guess it was a good 40% were dads with their kids. And I will say this, the store had a whole lot more energy than I remember. This is what happened when I walked in with my child. I had to dive and jump him out of the way of a cart with kids and a dad racing through Target. Because all dads are just slightly grown-up kids. And I mean, dads were everywhere running their kids through the store in carts. And we kind of grow up, right, dads? And we kind of don't, right, moms? We kind of grow up. In Titus chapter 2, it's about growing up in the faith. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. 
on page 1700. Titus chapter 2. We're going to start down in verse 11, which is our reading for the day. Page 1700, Titus chapter 2. How do we mature in our faith? How do we grow up in our faith? Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How do we grow up? God has given us his grace. And the grace of God teaches us. Now, here's what Paul does. So if you were to read verses 1 through 10, he's talking to various different kinds of people, from older to younger, male to female, slave and free. He's talking to all of them. And then he comes to this verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, any of these things. The grace of God came to offer salvation to all people. Now, we covered that a lot last week. We are saved by grace through faith, period. There's nothing we can add to that. There's nothing we can take away from it. It is God's gift. However, the second point I made last week is that grace does not stop with our salvation. God continues to pour out grace. We stand in grace, according to Romans 5. And that's the second part. So it's not only that the grace of God brings salvation to all people, but he keeps going. It, that is the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled and upright lives in this present age. Let me break it down. The word teach... In Greek, that word means to assist in making appropriate choices. It means to come alongside and to help somebody make appropriate or right or good choices. The grace of God assists us to make appropriate choices. And he defines those. He defines the no and he defines the yes. The no is the first part. It teaches us to say no, literally to disown, is what that Greek word tends to mean, disown something. To say no to ungodliness, that is, any words or actions that are the opposite of who God is. And worldly passions, those desires that reflect the world versus God. Not everything in our world is bad. God created our world. Sunsets and nature and love, there's beauty in all of it. However, there's a fallenness that makes us seek after things that are not godly. God's grace assists us in helping us to say no to words, actions, and desires that are against him. And to say yes to the other side. That is here to live self-controlled, 
how hard is self-control? I mean, how often do you find yourself thinking, doing, or saying things that you wish you weren't? How often do you tell yourself, I'm not going to do that again, and then you do it again? I mean, self-control is tough, and yet the grace of God assists us in self-control. In self-control, upright and godly lives, this is just the opposite. It is a life that is just. It is a life that is fair. It is a life that is looking to the Lord and saying, what are you doing? How are you living? That's what I want to do. The grace of God assists us in learning what to say no and yes to. When we first got here, I've shared this story with a few of you. When we first moved here a little over a year ago, we had an issue with our, I I mentioned my three-year-old, I took to Target, he was only two at the time, where we were all sitting out on our second-story deck, enjoying the beautiful outdoors, because there is beautiful weather here. And we're out there enjoying that, and our two-year-old walks inside. He closes the door, and he bends down, and he locks the bottom lock, which is this little thing along the base. And we all look at him, and he looks at us. And we tried very hard to assist him in making an appropriate choice. Please, Kelton, unlock the door. And he just looks at us. We're like, no, right there, unlock the door. And, you can, and we're very animated. We're like, do this, do this. We're trying to really help him make this decision. He walks up the stairs, sits down at the top. He can see us. He's got a little bag of goldfish. And he begins to eat the goldfish while he watches us. <laughs> now, there's no way off our balcony. There's no stairs. And it is the second story. And it's the second story where it's coming off of a walkout basement. Do you know how high those are? It's not just the second story. It has to come down. And like, we look over the thing. And, and so we're like getting everything we can. We call people. We tried so hard to assist our son in making an appropriate and godly choice. He did not. So dad had to go over the balcony to the ground. Well, you know what I learned? I can do that. You know what else I learned? I never want to do that again. But the grace of God assists us in making appropriate choices. Here's the question. How? How does it do that? And I'm going to answer it with two things. The grace of God assists us in making appropriate choices. It teaches us, as the text uses that translation, by example and by experience. By example and by experience. Let me give you some examples. Jesus spent his time eating and hanging out with people who did not deserve his time. He showed tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes grace. They did nothing to earn that. And in fact, considering he was holy, he really deserved to judge them. And instead, he had parties with them. He called one of them to be on his team. 
He went to a tax collector and said, I want you to be a disciple. He went to the apostle Paul, who we talked about last week, was persecuting the church and said, I want you to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He kept extending grace. We see example of example of example over and over again. There's one point. What do you feel like when you are totally exhausted? Maybe you've had a really long day. Maybe it's been a long week. Maybe it's been a long year. And then somebody needs something from you. What's your first response? Jesus spent all of this time ministering, sleeping on the ground, exhausting himself. At one point, he goes away with his disciples so he can get a break. And a whole crowd follows him. And they are not coming for godly reasons. They've seen miracles and they want more. And you know what he says? They are like sheep without a shepherd. Let's take care of them. Grace. Jesus was beaten to the point that his back was bleeding and looked like raw meat. He was mocked. Then forced to carry his own cross out to a place where they drove nails into his wrists and into his feet. And do you know what he said when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them. Example after example of grace. One of the ways that the grace of God teaches us is we see the example of Jesus, of the Father, and of other godly people. Share a brief story with you. You've probably, many of you, heard of Charles Spurgeon. There was another less famous pastor also in London at the same time. His name was Joseph Parker. Both of them had not really competing, but, you know, kind of competing churches in London. And one day it was reported to Spurgeon that Parker had made a disparaging comment about the orphanage that Spurgeon ran. So Spurgeon believed that from the pulpit... Parker was saying bad things about the orphanage that Spurgeon was running. Well, when this happened, Spurgeon the next week got up in his pulpit, and from the pulpit, he blasted Parker. He did things that we really should never do from the pulpit, but he just laid into Parker for the things he would say about that orphanage. And here's the thing. Parker never said anything disparaging about the orphanage. He did say that the kids who went in were in really bad shape. And it was good that they were able to go into the orphanage, but they were in really bad shape. So Parker, the next week, his church was full. Because guess what people were waiting for? Don't we just love a good fight? I mean, they were waiting to see how Parker would respond after being unfairly and unjustly blasted from the pulpit by another preacher. Here's what Parker said that particular week. He got up and he said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this particular Sunday is the Sunday that they use to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest... Today, we take a love offering for them instead of our normal offering. 
he not only got an applause from the crowd that was waiting for a battle, they had to pass the plate three times because it got filled up so much. That next week, Spurgeon came. He knocked on Parker's door at the church. He walked in, and these are the words recorded. You know, Parker, you practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. And that is the heart of grace. Not giving people what they deserve, but the Lord giving us what we most needed, salvation. Jesus giving us what we most need, daily grace, daily forgiveness, daily love, daily searching us out, daily building us up. That's grace. We get example after example after example, both from the Lord and also from his people that can inspire us. My encouragement with that particular example, I don't want you to leave going, wow, that was really cool. I want you to leave going, how can I show that kind of grace to somebody? Because that's how the grace of God teaches us. There's a second way the grace of God works through experience. We talked last week in depth about the fact that we are saved. If you have trusted in Christ, you have experienced the grace of God. You are forgiven of your sins. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, you are forgiven of your sins. And you have an eternity out there. You have the hope of a time when all of the pain and the suffering and the sickness will be gone. You have that right now. But it doesn't stop at that. There was a point where the Apostle Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians. He had what he called a thorn in his flesh. He does not describe it, but he just says something was really difficult for him. Have any of you ever had something difficult in your life? If you haven't, please tell me your secret. Because we've all had things we need help with. And he said he prayed three times for the Lord to remove that thorn. And the Lord came back and said this, my grace is sufficient for you. In your moment of weakness, where you are struggling right now, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because in your weakness, you know my strength. That is when I can lift you up. That is when I can do something incredible in your life. That is when I can shine through you. We can experience God's grace in our most difficult moments. So I said I would say something more about Father's Day. Father's Day was first celebrated not in any way nationally. I'm, it was celebrated very locally in 1910 from a woman named Sonora Dodd. When she was 16 years old, her mother died. And back at that point in the late 1800s, dads were essentially in America considered not part of the fabric of the family. They were breadwinners. 
And if a mother passed away, it was not uncommon for the kids to then be raised by an aunt and an uncle, to be raised by somebody other than the single dad. There are some very negative things said about single dads during the time. Well, Sonora Dodd was the oldest of six children. She was 16 years old. She had five brothers. The, oldest was an, the youngest was an infant. The father decided not to send them away, but he would raise them. And he would raise them until every one of them was out of the house and on their own in their own home. And he did just that. And one day in 1909, when she was sitting in a church service listening to a Mother's Day sermon, raised primarily as she believes by her father and all these kids, she had this enormous respect and love for her dad. And she went up to the pastor afterwards and she said, I think Mother's Day is very appropriate. That sermon was great. However, I want to have a Father's Day. And the next year, there was a local Father's Day celebration. She would then spend the next six decades fighting for Father's Day to become a federal holiday. And she said this in a particular interview. So if you know anything about the history of Mother's Day, the woman who is responsible for Mother's Day, by the time it got all established, she was the one trying to get rid of Mother's Day because it became so commercialized that she regretted it ever happened. She has some very harsh things to say about chocolate companies and card companies and everything like that. However, when Father's Day became commercialized, Dodd had a very different response. This is what she said at one point in an interview. It was my idea back in 1909 that gifts be given to the father. I even made the suggestion to merchants that they display them in their windows. After all, why should the greatest givers of gifts not be on the receiving end at least once a year? She believed that her father had given her such grace and favor and love and beauty throughout her life that it impacted everything she did for the next six decades. Because when we experience that kind of grace and love in our lives, it can, though we can reject it, it can make us live differently. So, the grace of God teaches us, assists us in making appropriate choices, knowing to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness. It does that by example of God himself, example of God's people, and our own experience of God's grace, which can either make us more grace-filled people or we can ignore all of that and just live selfish lives. Why did he do it? And this is where I'll end. Go back into your text. This is important. Verse 13. He says, In this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. 
Why this grace? Do you know that you and I are on a journey? We are on a journey in this present to move to the age to come. And while we wait for the blessed hope of our Savior, which is the full redemption, the full salvation, do any of you right now feel fully redeemed? Or do you feel like you still have this terrible struggle with all of the sin that's in this world? You still struggle with the breakdown of your body and sickness and all of these things. Do you know that at full salvation, there is a new heavens, a new earth, there is a resurrection where you will no longer struggle with sickness? No more cancer, Lisa. No more sickness. Full salvation. But it's not here yet. We're moving that direction. So what happens now? He gave himself, it says... Not just for our future salvation, but to purify for himself a people right now who are eager to do good. You see, the grace of God is the vehicle right now that purifies us, that helps us become more like the Lord as we move towards full salvation. We need it right now, and we have it. My message this morning is simple and complicated. I think that's most of my messages, though. They're simple and complicated. Here's the simple message. We are called to grow up in our faith, to look more and more like Christ. And we are given the grace of God to do that. The grace of God, by example and experience, shows us how we can live how we can be people of grace to one another. And he wants us to grow in that as we move toward full redemption. But we have to choose to follow. We have to choose to receive that grace, to let it impact us, to walk out of this room and say, I want to extend more grace to people around me. I want to be more like him more just, more self-controlled. I want to say no to the things that are not of the Lord and then to rely on that grace to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Lord, help us to really internalize your grace. Help it teach us that we might be grace-filled people who follow and make godly choices in life and who treat one another in the way that you have treated us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.